Hey guys, welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the psychic sister, one of them. I'm Christy Brower and I am the host of this true crime pop-up. So this is something new that we are doing on the weekends to pop up and just give you a little surprise and show up live to talk about something. And today I want to talk about serial killers. I know, such a, such a happy thought. Now, you know that most of us in the true crime world are pretty obsessed with serial killers. Maybe that's the word. I don't know. Interested in. For me, it's interested in. I never want it to come across as being like a groupie or supportive of or a fan of. It's more like I just really want to understand serial killers. I want to get it. I want to understand why they do what they do. And I feel like the more of us that can understand that, the more we can help prevent them. Maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. I don't know. But I think it's something I have been fascinated with my whole life. I, I started with Jack the Ripper. I was very, very interested in Jack the Ripper and have read many books about him over the years. And from there, I've moved on to Ted Bundy particularly was an interesting one for me because he was uh, functioning in in Idaho at some points when I lived here and Utah, you know, and was it, he was a name I heard. But I wanted to give you a few interesting little uh, tidbits about serial killers. And then I'm going to just talk generally about some of the main ones that I think we're all still trying to figure out. One thing that I learned, and I'd heard this a little bit before, but I thought it was very interesting, is that where the FBI is putting a little more attention as far as understanding serial killers and what they generally do for a living, um, they say if there's an ideal profession for a serial killer, it may, as, it may well be a long-haul truck driver. So truckers appeared on the FBI's radar, you know, a, a couple of decades ago at this point. Because there were women being murdered along the I-40 corridor, as we know. So since then, the FBI's Highway, Highway Serial Killings Initiative has investigated the murders of more than 750 victims found near highways and identified nearly 450 potential suspects, which is a disproportionate number of them were truck drivers. So very interesting. So the victims in these cases were primarily women who were living in high-risk situations, transient lifestyles, and they generally picked truck stops or service stations to kind of be around. And often, you know, if they were working in sex work, that's what they're, where they would work. And, you know, one thing that the FBI has figured out is the more locations you're operating in, the more difficult it is for law enforcement to see a link. And we have seen that many times over the years, haven't we, in cases of serial killers, that if they're traveling from state to state, we just did a show on Israel Keys, and I was talking about Samuel Little a few days ago on the show, both of them traveling across the country, committing murders. Yeah, going from state to state, that's something they figured out that makes it a whole lot harder to catch them. Also, did you know that the murder clearance rate has dropped quite significantly. And one of the, re well, there are many reasons 
but they figure now that serial killers get away with their crimes about 40% of the time. Now, of course, this is a guess because we still don't know really how many there are. I've read several articles that, you know, the estimate is somewhere between two and 4,000 are functioning in the U.S. at any one time. Also, did you know that the United States has way more serial killers than any other country? Like, as in thousands more, historically and at any given time. We are the hotspot for serial killers. Not, not that they don't function in other countries, they do. But the United States has way more than any other country, which I think is a little scary. But here are some reasons why the clearance rate, the solving of these murders, has gotten worse. Um, so increased expertise. So these killers study other murderers' mistakes and they know how to fool the cops, for example, by planting false evidence. I think the understanding of forensics has helped solve murders. It's also made murders easier for some people. Constrained resources, um, like uh, not enough qualified people working in police departments to help solve these cases. Growing social isolation. I thought this was really interesting, which can make potential victims even more vulnerable and greater geographic mobility. These are the reasons why it's believed, some of the theories why anyway, that it's believed that serial killers actually are getting away with their crimes more now than they used to. That's a scary thought, isn't it? So I wanted to talk about just a few of some of the ones that I find the most interesting. Many of you are going to know these names, but uh, you might not know where they are now. And so I'm going to tell you where they are now. It is believed that fewer than 1% of homicides during any given year are committed by serial killers. That's the FBI reporting that. There are other... Um, crime agencies and people who study crime who think that that number is actually higher, but we truly don't know, to be perfectly honest. A majority of serial killings are sexually motivated. That is one thing that we know, although it's not all of them, uh, but a majority of them are. So a few names you are going to remember. David Berkowitz, he was known as Son of Sam. He killed six people. He was uh, killing in the 1970s in New York City. You may remember that he originally claimed that a neighbor's dog was possessed by an ancient spirit and commanding him to shoot people. And that dog's name was Sam. Berkowitz did later say that that story was a hoax. He was trying to uh, basically get an insanity plea when he said that. He was arrested on August 10th of 1977 and he pled guilty to murdering six people, and he was sentenced to 25 years to life for each murder. And he is currently incarcerated in upstate New York. I always find it interesting to see where they are now because, you know, we, it's the catching them and the trials, you know, and then it's kind of like they kind of fall out of view. So it's good to know, like, where are they now? Ted Bundy. Um, number of confirmed victims is unknown. Um, he did confess to more than two dozen murders before he was executed, but he may also be linked to more deaths. We just really do not know. He was uh, killing in the 1970s. 
in multiple states, including Washington, Utah, Colorado, and Florida, and he was in Idaho also. So we know he preyed on young women and sometimes lured victims by pretending to be injured. Remember that? He liked to pretend as though he was injured and might need help, and then that would give him the chance to attack someone. He had studied psychology in college and worked as a suicide hotline volunteer while in school and served at one point as an assistant director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission. Can you imagine that? But he learned a lot about his victims that way. He was arrested for the final time in Feb on February 15th, 1978. You may remember he was arrested several times before they were ever actually able to hold him. He had been arrested in Colorado. Um, anyway, he, he was a fugitive in Florida. He was arrested all over the place, but he was finally arrested February 15th, 1978. He was sentenced to death for three counts of murder and given the electric chair, and he was executed on January 24th of 1989. I find it interesting also how some serial killers get the death penalty and some don't, and some of that depends on what state that they were convicted in and what they were actually eventually convicted of. We often know way more about the crimes that they committed than they're actually charged for, if you may note, which is very interesting, I think, because there's a difference between convicting them and confining them for life and finding out exactly what they did in order to find their victims and give their families some closure. So I, I find that interesting. So then um, there was Angelo Buono Jr. and Kenneth Bianchi, and they were the Hillside Stranglers. They killed at least nine people. They were functioning in the 1970s in Los Angeles and Washington State. So they were cousins who posed as police officers, if you didn't know about them. They would trap teenage girls and young women, um, because, you know, they thought they were police. Uh, Bianchi claimed that he suffered from multiple personality disorder, but later admitted that he faked the condition. That's a very rare condition. Uh, let's see. Buono owned an auto upholstery shop and was not a suspect until Bianchi was caught. He uh, confessed and identified his cousin as his accomplice. So very interesting that they didn't have any idea that Angelo was part of it. Bianchi was arrested on January 12th of 1979. Bono was arrested October 19th of 1979. So it took them a while to decide that they could arrest him as well. Uh, Bianchi was arrested in Bellingham, Washington. He was a suspect in the murders of two college students at Western Washington University. He did plead guilty and confessed to five of the Los Angeles murders. He was sentenced to five life terms for murder and one additional life sentence for conspiracy with Bianchi or with uh, Bono. Bianchi is incarcerated in the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. Bono was arrested at his home in Glendale, California, the same day Bianchi admitted he participated in five of the hillside killings. Bianchi did testify during Bono's trial. Bono was convicted of nine murders and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He died in prison in 2002, but Bianchi is still alive and incarcerated in Walla Walla. Juan Corona. This is one I didn't know as much about, but thought I should share because it's very interesting. Uh, a number of confirmed victims, 25. 
This was in 1971 in Yuba City, California. He was a farm laborer, and he was convicted in the stabbing deaths of 24 workers. His 25th victim was shot. During a 2011 parole hearing, he confessed to killing the men. So during his parole hearing, he actually finally admitted it. He was 77 and suffering from dementia at the time of the hearing. And he described his victims as alcoholics who had trespassed in the orchards. Very interesting. I did not know about this guy. I need to learn more. He was arrested on May 26th of 1971. And he was arrested after a neighbor reported suspicious activity in a peach orchard. And that's where police found 25 bodies buried in shallow graves in the orchards surrounding the Feather River and traced the bodies to Corona. Four of those victims were never identified. And after being convicted in 1973, he was sentenced to 25 life terms in prison, but an appeal led to a new trial in 1982. He was again convicted at the second trial and sentenced to 25 concurrent terms of 25 years to life. And he did die of natural causes just in 2009, March 4th of 2000, or 2019, I mean. Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, we did just cover Dahmer uh, here on True Crime Paranormal uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's one I've always been fascinated with because this, this all went on while I was a little kid. And so I found what he was doing pretty interesting. Not, the, not good interesting, but psychologically interesting. He had um, 16 victims. He did confess to 17, but they weren't able to convict him of that last one. He functioned from the 1970s to the 1990s, primarily in the Milwaukee area. He was a former chocolate factory worker, if that's not gross for you. He picked up young men at bus stations, bars, shopping centers, and other locations, generally uh, young gay men. He got them to visit his apartment by offering them money to pose for photos and promising them alcohol. He drugged them and strangled them. And he ate parts of at least one of his victims and kept the remains of the others in his apartment. There were heads in his fridge when they arrested him. He was arrested on July 22nd of 1991. He was apprehended after one of his captives escaped and went to the police. He was still wearing hand, the handcuffs that Dahmer had shackled to one of his wrists. He was charged with 15 counts of murder. He pled guilty, but insane. A Milwaukee jury ruled that his ruled against his insanity claim that he was in fact not insane, and was sentenced to 15 life terms in February of 1992. He did plead guilty to a 16th murder in Ohio and was sentenced to an additional life term in 1992. And you may remember he was beaten to death in prison in 1994. Next, this is a big one because uh, he was only just very recently arrested and is serving life in prison. This is Joseph James D'Angelo, known as the Golden State Killer. And he, number of confirmed victims, at least 13. He was functioning um, in the 1970s and 1980s in California. So D'Angelo, who is a former police officer, began with a string of burglaries, and then he became more violent with a series of killings, rapes, and assaults in the 70s and 80s. As he moved from one county to the next, so this was a huge problem in California. It took them a long time to figure out that these might be connected. 
Two of his earliest known homicides were the murders of a couple in Rancho Cordova who may have witnessed him breaking into a home. After the Rancho, Rancho Cordova slayings, D'Angelo started a series of murders in the Santa Barbara area, more than 300 miles south of Sacramento. Investigators at the time didn't see a connection between the attacks in Santa Barbara and Sacramento. Remember, being able to spread out and be in more places makes you harder to catch, right? So decades after the killings, true crime author Michelle McNamara drew attention to the case with blog posts in a book called All Begun in the Dark that was published two years after her sudden death in 2016. You may have seen the documentary, the HBO documentary, All Begun in the Dark. Uh, is very good. But they really do uh, credit her research to finally catching D'Angelo. So he was arrested on April 24th of 2018. And remember that he com committed his crimes in the 70s and 80s. Detectives used a public genealogy website to narrow down their list of suspects. Genealogy for the win again. And then they connected DNA, collected DNA samples from D'Angelo's trash and the door handle of his car. Once they confirmed the DNA matches, he was arrested. On June 29th of 2020, he pled guilty to 13 counts of first-degree murder and special circumstances, which included murder committed during burglaries and rapes, so murders in the during the commission of a felony, as well as 13 counts of kidnapping. And he acknowledged more than 50 rapes that he was not charged for because Cal California's statute of limitations had run out. So his guilty plea protected him from the death penalty. And on August 21st of 2020, you remember, may remember this, I remember it well, he was given 11 life sentences without the possibility of parole and is serving his time in prison, which I mean, I guess finally, but he's certainly been able to live out his whole life before he was caught. Then we have Lonnie David Franklin Jr., who was the Grim Sleeper. We did cover uh, the Grim Sleeper already as well. He uh, had around 10 confirmed victims. He was functioning from the 1980s to the 2000s in Los Angeles. He targeted prostitutes and female drug addicts. Franklin was called the Grim Sleeper because he was believed to have stopped killing for more than a decade before he began a second murder spree in the 2000s. So he, it was like he went to sleep for a while. He was a married father of two. Crazy to think that while he was doing these things, he was married with children. He was arrested on July 7, 2010. Um, undercover Los Angeles police officers obtained a sample of his DNA from a leftover pizza slice, and it matched the killer's DNA. So he was convicted of slaying 10 people and was sentenced to death in 2016. He died in prison in 2020, so we don't have to worry about him anymore. John Wayne Gacy, probably know who he is. Number of confirmed victims, 33. This was in the 1970s in the Chicago area. He was a construction company owner who moonlighted as a children's party clown. This dude was super creepy. He abducted young men and boys or lured them to his home. Uh, he had been married twice and divorced, and he had two children. Can you imagine being a child of John Wayne Gacy? Mm. Very difficult. 
He was arrested on December 24, 21st, 1978, uh, when they were police were investigating the disappearance of a teenage boy, and they found the remains of a victim in the crawl space under his house. He was sentenced to death by lethal injection on 33 counts of murder, and he was executed on May 10th of 1994. Randy Stephen Kraft. He was convicted of 16 murders in Orange County, California, but linked also to at least 29 additional slayings nationwide. Very prolific. Detectives found a notebook in his briefcase that contained a list of more than 60 entries. It was basically a journal that chronicled his killings. Uh, the defense attorneys didn't believe that's what it was, but it was pretty clear that that is what it was. He functioned in the 70s and 80s in California, Oregon, and Michigan. He was a computer consultant, and he used to pick up young hitchhikers on the interstate. He targeted men with military backgrounds. He was arrested on May 14th of 1983. He was pulled over by the California Highway Patrol for weaving. And when they pulled him over, they found a dead body in the front seat. So he was convicted on 16 murder counts and sentenced to death. He is incarcerated awaiting execution at San Quentin State Prison. Wow. Arrested on in 1983 and still awaiting his execution. That's wild. Then we have Samuel Little. Now, I've, I've talked about Samuel Little a little bit recently because he just died at the end of 2020 in December. He was convicted of eight murders, but in 2018, he confessed to a total of 93 murders while he was being F, uh, interviewed by the FBI. They have, investigators have now confirmed at least 60 of those. And he is believed to be America's most prolific serial killer. He's the guy who drew pictures of his victims for uh, the FBI. I showed some of them last week on our uh, case update. Very interesting and also very creepy. But in an attempt, I guess, to help the police find some of the victims that he murdered, he drew pictures of them. So he functioned from the 70s until 2005 in Arizona, Arkansas, California, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Nevada, New Mexico, Ohio, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. He was just kind of a nomad that drifted from state to state and just killed people as he went. He was a competitive boxer at one point. And he would generally punch his victims to stun them before he strangled them. A lot of the people that he killed because he did not kill by uh, stabbing or shooting them, their deaths were attributed to drug overdoses, accidents, that kind of thing. They weren't even seen as murders. He was very good at getting away with what he'd done. He was arrested on September 5th, 2012 at a Kentucky homeless shelter. He was then extradited to California on a narcotics charge. So once he was in custody, the Los Angeles P Police Department matched his DNA to the victims in three unsolved homicides from 1987 to 1989. 
So he was charged with those in 2014. He was convicted and sentenced to three life sentences with no possibility of parole. In 2018, he was extradited to Texas where he pled guilty to the 1994 murder of Denise Christie Brothers and given a life sentence. And in 2019, he did receive four additional sentences of life for the murders of four women in Ohio. And he died in prison in December of 2020. So we're going to continue this serial killer talk, but we don't have to do it all in one blow. I know it's kind of a, it's a sort of dark conversation, but I think also an interesting one because the only way to truly understand these individuals and the things that they do is to understand their histories, their experiences, the things that they did. It's how we understand them. It's how we catch them faster. It's how we prevent them. So those are a few pretty interesting ones that have been happening around the U.S. in the last 40 years or so. Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear in the comments which serial killers do you find the most interesting? Because I, I find some of them very interesting and others I'm like, eh, seems like we've heard this story before. But some of them I think are really interesting just to study and learn about more. So let me know in the comments what who you find the most interesting. And thanks for joining me for this True Crime Paranormal pop-up. I'm Christy Brower and this is True Crime Paranormal. Thanks for being here. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.